Vintage Sand. Hello, Vintage Sand fans. It's Josh talking to you at the beginning of episode 33. And not surprisingly, for those of you who know us, you know, it's funny. We've talked so much about directors that it was nice to do a little change for this episode and talk about acting, specifically our favorite supporting acting performances that have gone unrecognized or underrecognized over the years. Uh, however, uh, and having known my partners, Michael and John, for over 30 years now, you know that once you get them talking about acting, it's very hard to stop. So we ended up doing a really long episode, and we have decided uh, sensibly, I think, to split it in half. So I am introducing you now then to episode 33A, No Small Parts, uh, our study of our favorite supporting actor performances through the years. Uh, 33B, which will be the conclusion, will come out in a couple of weeks. And then next month, just to build anticipation, we will, of course, be talking about our favorite performances by supporting actresses. So grab some popcorn, kick back, and enjoy episode 33A, part one, no small parts, our favorite performances that have gone under-recognized and under-loved by supporting actors. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, it's us, Team Vintage. Did you miss us? You can tell us. It's okay. We're, we're on that kind of basis. But we've been gone for a while because we actually had, uh, John was on injured reserve there for a while. That's right. Yeah, we're not, we're not getting specific, but all we're saying is you should see the other guy. That's right. You mess with one member of Team Vintage, Sand, you're bringing a whole hailstorm of trouble down on yourself. So yes, I went to the two-for-one sale at the personal injury store. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other guy, they'll be finding him like Jimmy Hoffa in several parts in different states. Yeah, they'll so they'll never find him. <laughs> but uh, it's been two months since last we confabbed, if you can believe that. Time has flown. Tempest has bugged. And uh, it is really great to be back with you guys. Uh, Team Vintage, Sand, that would be myself, Josh Cabot, your humble narrator. Say hello to the nice people. Johnny Meyer. Hello, nice people. See? Doesn't he sound nice? And Mike Edmund. Hello, nice people. I don't know about the nice front, but he's much nicer than he sounds, folks. I can tell you that for sure. So we are here um, uh, on this beautiful, uh, cool fall night at the end of October with uh, episode 33. Episode 33 of Vintage Sand. I know, that's right. Episode. We've been doing this, as I said last time, since, you know, 2018. It was just Three a, years. Yep. It was just a dream in a Chinese restaurant. Just, That's you know, right. when we opened up a fortune cookie and it said, start a podcast, your yeah. lucky number is 847. So we, we went with the first one. <laughs> and here we are. That's right. Uh, bloodied, it's not lying, folks. It's true. No, bloodied and literally broken, but uh, never uh, never bowed. We are Team Vintage Sand, and episode 33 is going to be a little bit different. And I think this one was way too long in coming because, you know, if you've been listening to us, um, and I know the four of you have, um, you know, our heroes in, uh, in this podcast, as it is for many film historians, film critics, etc., film lovers, have been the directors. You know, that's a tradition that started with really with Francois Truffaut and uh, the politic of auteurs in 54, and then Andrew Saris brought it here in 62. Um, and, uh, you know, we when I teach film, I teach it as a very director-centric proposition because it's always, you know, as... If we're teaching film as art, then the question arises, who is the artist? And is there an artist? And I think we would agree that for most films, there's not an artist. I mean, film is the most collaborative medium there is. Yeah. I mean, try to sit through the credits of an Avengers movie sometime. You're there for 20 minutes. It's thousands of people working to put a film together sometimes. Uh, and we've devoted uh, several episodes to Hitchcock. We've devoted episode 27 to our director study of Bong Joon-ho. And I, I steered that one. That was a really interesting one. I learned a lot from that one. And I'm uh, hoping that we'll do that again. But it's you have to agree. Did you guys see the Pauline Kael special on Turner Classic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. And, you know, Kale. I think we're all generally in agreement that Kale, uh, you know, was a better writer than a critic. Yes. I, I like her as a critic. I mean, I don't agree with everything. Right. I mean, but yeah. history... She definitely got it wrong sometimes. A lot of times her reviews were more about her than the movie. 
True. Yes. And Kale was Andrew Saris's main critic in terms of this idea of the auteur theory and what she saw as the ridiculousness of giving one person credit for a medium that is so inherently collaborative. And since my comrades here are both trained actors, it seemed to make sense that it's about time for us to focus an episode on acting. So we therefore happily present to you episode 33, which I call No Small Parts. Um, that's possibly a more suggestive reference than it should be, but No Small Parts. <laughs> Let's not go there. This is the Vintage Sand 33 episode guide to some of our favorite performances by supporting actors that were generally overlooked at the time, but have come down through history. And I should add that we, our November episode, episode 34, of course, will be uh, focusing on supporting actresses. So, um, let us begin. Um, Michael, you want to dive in first? I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I, you know, I don't know anything about the craft of acting. And as I said, we've got two really good actors here with training. And so I, I'm hoping to learn as much as, as you, our audience, does today. So, Michael, I'm going to give her to you first. Okay. Well, my number five is probably going to be from at least in some circles. might be a controversial choice. But it's an actor who I thought was, all through his career, very, very much overlooked, and that's Jack Carson. Oh, yeah, I love Jack Carson. Yeah. Great. Second uh, Banana comic, yeah. Second Banana comic. Uh, he appeared in mostly comedies and musicals, a lot of them with Doris Day. And he also appeared in Arsenic and Old Lace, The Bride, King C.O.D., The mm. Male Animal, uh, The Strawberry Blonde, and occasional dramas, Mildred Pierce. But in this, right. yeah, yeah, which is good, and he's, he's, he's good. It's yeah. sort of a comedic role. But in this film, and this, uh, four of my, uh, of my five supporting actors have one thing in common: the performances are at the end of their lives. Oh, much. interesting. Yeah, okay. which I didn't realize when I'd set it up. But because um, Jack Carson was only uh, fifty-three when he died, really, in nineteen sixty-three, yeah. a stomach cancer. cancer. Anyway, but this is the movie Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, uh, by, uh, directed by Richard Brooks, 1958, based on the Tennessee Williams play, which, um, and he plays the part of Gooper Pollitt, the, the uh, overlooked brother, older brother of uh, Brick Pollitt. And I should add that this is a role that I've auditioned for once. I've, I love this play. I've seen, oh God, six or seven productions of it, plus three on TV. And he, this is definitely not the cat on a hot tin roof that Tennessee Williams wrote. He takes out an, all, any reference or even hints of Brick's latent homosexuality. Right. But I still enjoy it more than any other cat on a hot tin roof. How, how do you compare it to other filmed adaptations of Williams? Um, God, I guess along with Streetcar, which is the closest to him, and The Night of the Iguana, which I think is actually superior. To the play. To the play, Under, yeah. yeah. And underrated. John, and Houston, appreciated. John yeah. Houston really, really rewrote it and rewrote it for the better. In this, this is... Definitely rewritten, but it is, first of all, so just so beautifully done. Um, Elizabeth Taylor is still my favorite Maggie. And I've seen Elizabeth Ashley on stage, which Tennessee Williams wrote was his favorite Maggie. Interesting. He, didn't, he did not like Barbara Bel Geddes, who originated the role. Not like Barbara Bel Geddes? As Maggie. Mm, it's hard to imagine her in that part, frankly. Yeah, I guess. But who knows? I, I would have liked to have seen it, but I... Uh, it came out three months after I was born, and I wasn't ready to go yet. <laughs> not, quite, not quite. Not till required his own seat. So, right. yeah, like, so. You probably wanted to go, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. I was like the little baby on uh, Family Guy, you know. Stewie. That's right, Michael Stewie. That's it. The better baby. When we do the live-action Family Guy, I get to be Peter, and Michael gets to be Stewie. And you get to be Brian, the sensible one. John. Okay, dog. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, we wonder. Gooper is all, 
tends to be played, and, and the way Tennessee Williams written, as the villain of the piece, along with his wife, uh, May, or sister woman. She's sister woman, he's brother man, and they just want to uh, bring down Brick and put him in an institution and take over uh, the, the family estate. estate since Big Daddy is dying of cancer at 65. And I don't know if this was Carson's idea or if this was the screenplay's idea or if it was Richard Brooks's idea, but Carson actually makes Cooper multidimensional. Mm, yeah. He makes him kind of sad, pathetic, and you actually feel sorry for him. And I, I was just watching it for the 28,000th time. <laughs> um, and there's a, a scene in it where he's pleading with Big Mama, who's just said, where's my only son? And he says, Mama, I did everything you wanted me to do. I, uh, Big Daddy said to get, uh, go to law school. I went to law school. He said to uh, get married. I got married. He said to have kids. I got kids. And, it's, and the look of pain in his face makes you really sad for him and, and it's it's such a wonderful performance in a sea of wonderful performances that that is yeah everyone's good in it. everyone yeah. is good in it. everyone uh, i might have a few quibbles about judith anderson's accent as big mama but yeah that's it's 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 very few quibbles Everybody, a rock start here yeah <laughs> and i love judith anderson don't get me wrong you know but check uh, out our hitchcock villains episode for that yes yeah. yes um and uh, as I said, I, have re I recently was in a production of uh, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof um, two years ago where I played the Reverend Tooker. And it was a joy. I only had 18 lines to learn, and I was on stage for 10 minutes, and to me that is the perfect way, the way I want to act now. In a really good play, show up, do my bit, and leave. <laughs> perfect. But um, even the, the uh, actor who played Gooper, who was very, very, very good, he still played it the villain. And I think that has to do with the way Tennessee Williams played. I loved what, uh, what Jack Carson did. Nice. Un unexpected. Because it was you think totally. Because sort of a lightweight. And he was not playing it for laughs at all. Uh, I mean, he, t he would tell his, uh, um, you know, his wife to shut up. But, uh, and they did definitely lighten his character, because at the end, even he believes Maggie's lie, that um, she's pregnant. But uh, if anybody, uh, it, it's always available, TCM, uh, 1958, Kana Hatunruf. It's not the play. I had arguments with the director of the production that I did over it. Because he, he did not like it. He did not want uh, our Maggie to see it. And I go, okay, well, that's understandable. But I, I think on its own, it really works as a film. Oh. Even without the homosexuality. And I'm the last person to, you know, say, say no, no, wipe out homosexuality. Right, no, and, 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 you know, of course, 1958, right. Hollywood, what are you going to... Right, it hadn't been right. invented yet. There were no homosexuals. <laughs> Everyone in, knows 1958, that. 1958. <laughs> that's an established fact. Except apparently <laughs> Anthony Perkins and, and Tab Hunter. Well, there's that, but that's a whole other... That's, that's two other episodes. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> anyway, Jack Carson is my number Jack five, Carson. and if you haven't seen him in any of his comedies... In, oh, in the arsenic and old lace. Oh, he's wonderful in arsenic and old lace. And I like him in Mildred Pierce, as you said. He he's is great. very yeah. good. Oh yeah, it's really Mildred good Pierce there. is another one. Everyone's good in it. Yeah. Yes. Even, uh, Even Mommy Jennifer. Dearest. Yeah. She's great. And yeah. Blythe is great. And Blythe's wonderful. Yep. Uh, Eve Arden is Eve Arden. <laughs> Eve Arden, but she's great. That's her only Oscar nomination. Well, she did totally. She totally deserves it. Yeah. All right. So my number five is a tie. Actually, guys, sorry about that, but I put I associate these two performances because they both came around the same time. They both featured actors who I had never even heard of before and both were just explosive. You know, there are the occasionally you'll see a film and you'll see somebody new. You'll be like, whoa, who's that? Where have they been? And um, both of these actors have gone on to extremely substantial careers, especially in film. And the two films, uh, the two performances I'm talking about are Ray Fiennes as Amon Goth in uh, Schindler's List. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. listen, deservedly, uh, 
Ben Kingsley got all the attention in the nomination. Did he win? No, uh, nobody won for acting. Ray Fiennes was a nominee for supporting actor, but he lost to Tommy Lee Jones in uh, the Fugitive. Oh, in the Fugitive, which was a memorable. Yeah, but not cool not. Uh, I would have voted, definitely voted for Ray Fiennes. But I had I ne- you know had never seen Ray Fiennes before, never even heard of him, no. and he. He just exploded in those scenes. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. scene the scene where they're on the roof, of, you know, and watching what's going on in the camp, and you know, Liam Neeson as Schindler says, you know, what, what if you didn't use your power? Wouldn't that be sort of the greatest use of power? And and you know, you see him kind of trying it on. He's like, huh, I pardon you, you yeah. know, like that. Yeah. And you're like, you're riveted on him. Yeah. Every every he's not on screen that much. No, but it's it just, is a supporting performance. Right, but it's. An absolutely, but not like Ben Kingsley, who's such a uh, so central to the heart of the yeah. film. He, but he brings in his few minutes on the screen that character completely to life. So that's that's a in my joint entry, and b in my joint entry comes two years later with a, a film I have talked about a lot. When we were talking about African American directors, we talked about Carl Franklin and the fact that he. I mean, he works all the time. He works in film, and he especially works in television. He gets. He's always working. But his first two films, One False Move, which from I like 92, a lot. which is a great little I like neo-noir, that movie a lot, and especially. Devil in a Blue Dress. Which I'm ashamed to yeah. say I've never seen. Devil in a Blue Dress, based on the Walter yeah. Mosley novel, Easy Rollins, Denzel Washington as the, as the title character, as atmospheric as L.A. Confidential was, I thought, which came two years after that. A desperately underrated film. When I saw it, I walked out and was like, oh boy, he's going to make ten, they're going to make ten of these. There's going to be... Yeah, but yeah, it never happened. It I, never, I thought it, the same thing. They, they I, don't think it was, I don't think it was a financially successful No, it film. was not. Well, that's but why. What, 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 what I came, walked, you know, Denzel Washington, there's no need to, to talk about him and his brilliance, but it was the first film appearance of Don Cheadle. Ah... And Don mm. Cheadle plays Mouse in the film, sort of a low-level yeah. gangster who hangs with these... And he literally just... He has this energy that you feel like he's barely containing. And he just explodes every time he's on the screen. And again, also, like Ray Fiennes and Schindler, he's not on on screen that much. But he, to me, was the most memorable thing about it. And of course, Don Cheadle has gone on to, you know, playing occasional leads like in the Miles Davis movie, but he has become one of our most reliable absolutely uh, character actors, supporting yeah. actors there yeah, is. Oh, it's excellent. Never he, a bad performance. I've never seen him batting. I could have lost the Cockney accent in the Oceans films, but I kind of oh, got used to I it. Oh, I like the <laughs> Oceans films. kind of fun, They're though. so much better than oh, the Sinatra. Give it up. Oh, oh. Give it up. <laughs> Sinatra movie is embarrassing. We're all in Bonnie. Rubble, Bonnie, rubble, trouble. <laughs> so, but wonderful. The man can do anything. And so as my joint sort of mid-entries 90 for underappreciated supporting actor performances, I, I give it as a tie to Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List, and which everyone has seen, I'm sure. But if you haven't seen Devil in a Blue Dress, hunt it down, check it out. Yeah. It's definitely worth seeing. And check out the work of Carl Franklin, the director as yeah. well. Yes. So that, uh, One False Move, I thought was one of the best movies of 1992. Yeah, one of the, one of the great neo-noirs, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, yep, period, yep, yep, yep. I think. All right, John O., you're up, number five. Okay, my number five is Sesu Hayakawa as Colonel Saito in The Bridge and the Bridge. River Kwai. Yep. Be happy in your Dima. work. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, a little background about him. Uh, Hayakawa was a star during the silent era. He was a sex symbol. There were, and, and this is, he's, obviously he was Asian, Japanese, but he was, uh, became a big, big star in the silent era. He had his own production company. And then his career slowed with the emergence of sound because he didn't speak English real well. I heard he uh, didn't hardly spoke it at all. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know all the details about yeah. that. It's a little vague, but anyway. Mm-hmm. But eventually he moved to France and supported himself selling watercolor paintings during the Nazi occupation. Really? Yeah. In 1949, he returned to the United States when Humphrey Bogart's production company offered him a role. Yeah. Yeah, so, and 
He was nominated for his intense performance in Bridge and River Choir. And should have won. Yes, and should have won, but lost to Red Buttons. Oh, good Lord. Lord. By 1960, his career had slowed down again, and he returned to Tokyo where he taught acting and became a Zen priest. Really? But I love how Hayakawa does, he does very little physically in the movie. Oh, my God. But his, his presence is always very, very intense. You tell who can tell who has the power. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, he's just, he's just still, he's, yes. he's there, and it's just, and you can't take your eyes off of him. Nope. And, and without him, the movie doesn't work. I saw that movie when I was 11, and I loved him then. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, he makes such an impression of Yeah. Him. I mean, just the scenes alone between him and Guinness is worth the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, to do so much with so little. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then I love that when um, you see that scene with him, it's very short, by himself, and he breaks down. Yes. Because he just, he's realizing I've I've lost to him. He's just, he's not, he's not going to be able to overcome what's, what's happened with the, the battle of, of wills between him and Alec Guinness. When I get home tonight, I think I'm going to just pop it in the movie. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's a great Everyone movie. Everyone be whistling movie. the Colonel Bogey March while oh, you're listening. I, 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 <laughs> happen, I happen to I remember our uh, uh, alternative Oscars from the 50s. Yep. I happen to love that movie. I just, yeah, I think that I, was I, one I, of the better deserved oh, best yeah. pictures yes. of the 50s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. No, and Hayakawa is huge in it. Uh, any other roles of his that uh, that we could it's check there, out? There really aren't that many because he, you know, because there was so much time where he wasn't acting on film. Didn't he do a movie with a little girl? Something. There's another movie he did where he kind of sends up his role in, but I can't remember the name. Yeah, of it. I'd have to look that up. Sorry. No, no, no. Oh, that was, that's okay. our, I know he didn't do much after that. Our researcher I, has but, a day but off. What a, an interesting life. I yeah, mean, yeah. Really interesting. I wonder if there's a biography of him. That would be totally, it sounds totally worth checking out. Yeah, I, well, it's definitely worthwhile. If someone hasn't written it, they should. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, you have your, you know, Tony Morrison always says, if you can't find the book you want to read, you have to go write it. Yes. So there you go. There, there you, you go. go. We'll be busy for a while I'm writing the Sisue Hayakawa biography. Exactly. All right, Mikey, number four. Number four is a comedic performance. I try to keep put, put in comedies if I can. Robert Preston in S.O.B. Oh, sure. Directed by Blake Edwards in 1981. He won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Supporting Actor for that film. And uh, sadly, S.O.B. was Preston's third to last movie. He would make... Uh, he was in Big Victoria, right? The following year, which I didn't put down because I really consider that more of a leading role. It was, he was nominated for Supporting, and lost to Louis Gossett Jr. But it was really much more of a leading role. I, I agree. Uh, Although uh, Louis Gossett's performance is kind of iconic, but it but a little cliched. Well, yes. yeah. The, the Marine, a, we've uh, seen the Marine uh, drill sergeant before. Yeah, right. yeah it's an easy part. And I, I don't think it's uh, that was a very good movie. An officer and a gentleman. I want to fly jet, yeah, sir! Yeah. <laughs> because I have nowhere else to go! <laughs> you know. Exactly. <laughs> Richard Gere is another actor who, well, is in, the, is in the Tom Cruise school of uh, dramatic arts. <laughs> anyway, getting back people, to... People out <laughs> listening with a raised eyebrow. What the hell does he mean? <laughs> uh, in case you are a new convert to Vintage Sand, you may, may be helpful to know at this point that Michael is not a huge fan of Tom Cruise. I'm just saying. Exactly. I think it's something personal. Yes. <laughs> Getting back to Preston, a good actor. Yes. Um, Preston's ha had a very unusual film career. He did tons and tons of B-Westerns yeah. in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You like Republic Westerns? You know, I, I don't know if they were Republic. Yeah. I never saw any of them. Well, occasionally you'd pop up in some big budget movie yeah. that was directed by a big name. Like Cecil B. DeMille used them sometimes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So how do we get from that to Music Man? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating because he really, really took off in the stage version of the Music Man. I was only two. I didn't get to see that one either. you got to grow up faster. I know, I know. <laughs> But of course, um, <laughs> I heard you tried to buy a ticket for that one. <laughs> well, that's because they, they wouldn't let me go and go to see West Side Story. 
<laughs> the roughly Down the two street. year old. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but you would have liked it. Uh, but uh, after uh, the film version of The Music Man, which is, I think, as good of a film that they could have been made of that musical. In fact, I think it's that, having seen the musical sense with Dick Van Dyke, which wasn't very good. Well, and of course, theater fans, we have the new, the Hugh Jackman, Sutton Foster version of it opening up. But yeah, they're like charging $300 for standing room, practically. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I, I don't intend to see it. Because as far as I'm concerned, Preston owns that role. Interesting. Yeah. They when the, when they were making trying to cast the movie, they wanted Cary Grant. To yes. Play, and he said no. No. Yeah. You have to cast Preston. Right. Cary Grant uh, turned down both that and My Fair Lady. Yeah. Uh, for Henry Higgins. I think every single wow. movie ever made from about 1938 to 1960 was offered to Cary Grant. Yeah. yeah exactly. You get that feeling? <laughs> Why don't we get a Cary Grant? How about a young Cary Grant? <laughs> Whatever happened to Cary Grant? Exactly. Who's Cary Grant? <laughs> what do you mean, who's Cary Grant? <laughs> Anyway, um, but despite the enormous success of The Music Man, Preston only made seven theatrical movies between 1962 and when he did SOB in 1981, and almost all of them, in fact, I think all of them but one were supporting performances. Was he on stage in those years? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he won his second Tony Award for I Do, I Do. Huh. He originated the role of Henry II in The Lion in Winter. I did opposite, not know that. Opposite Rosemary Harris. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. I told you we learned stuff this interesting. episode. It's very interesting, although uh, people think it was a, a I big, wonder, big I success. Wonder it was a, not. I wonder if, that's a, if it was ever filmed, if it's available it was, to see Well, somewhere. it may be at the, at the, the uh, Lincoln Center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because from what I heard, well, Rosemary Harris actually won the Tony Award, mm-hmm. but the play only ran two months. It's not considered a good play, and you know what? Yeah, yeah. it's not. It's not a great. Yeah, yeah. it's really not. Yeah. Um, but anyway. All right, um, never mind. I, I won't bother. Preston, uh, <laughs> Preston did a, a, a little unseen musical called Mac and Mabel, which was Jerry Herman. Yeah, which was, but that didn't run very long either. He did some TV work, but the only uh, notable movie he made. In that period, before that was, um, as Joe Clayburgh's uh, father in um, Semi Tough, Michael Richards. Oh, the football from film. From 77. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he Pretty was, good. He was very good in that. He was also in MAME, and the, the film version of MAME, and he was the only actor who, who didn't have to go into a witness protection program <laughs> after that came out. Ouch. Sorry, Lucille Ball, you uh, sucked too much. Yeah, that's not a classic. Yikes. It's... it's for my mind, one of the worst filmed musicals ever made. And in that period, that's saying. Yeah, that is saying. Did a it lot. make money? No. Mame? No, no. It was. I didn't think so. No. I just wasn't sure. No, it was not. It, actually, the title refers to what we should do to everyone in the cast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, a little English teacher wordplay there for you folks. All right, now there's anyway, a fellow. To SOB. <laughs> For people who don't know S.O.B., and there might be a lot of people out there who don't, S.O.B. is a, is Blake Edwards' middle finger to the film industry. Yeah. That's the and best then, way. And then some. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And, and, then, and, some. and then some. It's about a uh, producer who has come up with a big bomb starring his wife, and it's loosely based on when Blake Edwards made Darling Lily with Julie Andrews, which was also well, a big huge bomb. Huge disaster. Never yeah. saw it, but... Um, and how he decides to try to make it into a, por- a semi-soft uh, porn movie. Okay. Robert Preston plays Dr. Irving Feingarten, who is this unflappable doctor to the stars. I mean, he knows where all the bodies are buried. He has, oh my God, some of the very funniest lines in the film. To a nervous press agent, played by Robert Weber, he says, Ben... You look terrible. You look like 180 pounds of condemned veal. <laughs> <laughs> now, Edwards wrote it, too? Yes. 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 Um, to Loretta Swit, who plays a nasty gossip columnist who can't get on the set, and she's yelling at the security man who's letting Preston go on set. And she says, you're letting that shyster go on the set and not me? And Preston, once again unflappable, says, Polly, I could sue you for that. A shyster is a disreputable doc, uh, a lawyer. I'm a quack. 
and there's these lines throughout the thing, and he's he does it so effortlessly. And yeah, that's that. Yes, and you just you just love him, and. Uh, I want to know Why? what was in that magic shot he gave everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that he's happened. the reason that Julie Andrews was able to take off her top. That's right, topless Julie Andrews. I remember that. But why isn't the film, why don't we see it anymore? Okay, for a long time, you couldn't get it. You literally couldn't buy it. You couldn't rent it. Turner Classic Movies had it had it on occasionally in the middle of the night, but now you can't... I can... wonder if it was because of the subject matter that uh, the... You know, the powers that be were trying to keep it back I from don't being know. distributed for a while. I mean, I have it on DVD. Was it a, was it a, it did okay no, financially, it did but not. no, not even enough. No, it didn't do well. It did not do well. I remember, I remember going to see it pretty soon after it came out, and there was hard, there was nobody yeah. in the theater. Yeah. It was a hard movie to market. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it just, you know, it, it, um, also, at that time, I don't think it was a cast that it was really appealing to the general audience. Well, I mean, an Julie older, Andrews an older was. Audi- an older audience, yes. Yeah, well, that's but true. It was William Holden's final film. Yeah. And, and he uh, it. Yes, he did. And a little interesting trivia, Jack Lemmon was supposed to play the Richard Mulligan role. Oh, I uh, can see that. Yeah, that and sense. he dropped out because he said, Billy needs him, and he did Buddy Buddy instead. Oy, yeah. Ah, loyalty. Well, yeah. <laughs> he certainly did owe Wilder. Yeah, but well, he did owe him. Yeah, yeah come but, on. Ooh. Buddy, but, well, but, but uh, I, for everybody to our episode on our our <clears throat> final films of directors, that being the right. Wilder's final film, for further commentary. Yeah. But uh, having said that, you can now buy it for on Amazon. I think you can buy it for like $10, $15. For a while, the cheapest copy you could get was over $100. Wow. And I still don't think you can stream it, but uh, Turner Classics does show it, usually in the middle of the night, because of the very, very foul language. Right. Uh, It's got a wonderful cast besides them. Uh, Robert Weber is in it, Larry Hagman, Robert Vaughn, Shelley Winters. And we should say that Richard Mulligan is excellent. And Richard Mulligan is excellent. It's probably, I guess it's his largest role in the film. Sure. Um, I mean, I always associate him with soap. You know, the TV yeah, show, of course. Right. which yeah. was, was great. wonderful. It was wonderful in there. But yeah. uh, if, if anybody uh, hasn't seen it, try to find it. It's, it's a very, very funny film. And Robert Preston steals it, and that's a hard cast to steal. Steal all right. from yeah. all those people. Yes. All right. Yeah. So, so SOB. 1981, Blake Edwards. Who, who Blake Edwards does not get enough credit for, no, he for what he did, I, I think, in general. All right, my number four is, is an easy and obvious one, but I, 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 I had to put it in. Um, you know, Burt Lancaster was somebody who, as we've mentioned in these pages, was constantly, for almost his entire career, underrated. And, you know, played his last... But always, you look at his films now, and God, Sweet Smell of Success, and all the other ones that we've mentioned in the podcast. Unlike other Hollywood actors, he took a lot of risk to improve his range. And he allowed himself... Yeah, once he became established, he used Mm -hmm. used the, the power he gained as a way to be able to try different things. And he allowed himself to be miscast. Yeah. He's totally miscast in Comeback Little Sheba. Yes. But it, because he was in it, they wanted Betty Davis for that role. And because he was in it and had enough star power, Shirley Booth was able to make her film debut, won the Oscar. The same thing with Anna Magnani. In, in Rose Tattoo. Rose Tattoo. Yeah. He's miscast yeah. in that. But you, you want to go... Good for you. Yeah, he's trying. Thank you. He's and, trying. and he's one of those few, you know, his intelligence is, is now, you know, recognized by everyone, but it wasn't at the time. And after Atlantic City, which he did for Louis oh, Malle in 81. Which was his crowning achievement uh, as far as leading actors. Well, it's also his, his, his intensity. Yeah. Right. Oh, he's yeah. so, so wonderful in that. And settled into these couple of really interesting character roles towards the end of his career. And, you know, we talked about uh, Bill Forsythe, the Scottish director, in our episode about Overlooked Gems and his role in Local Hero. I is, love him in is, Local Hero. Uh, yeah. It's, love. it's just such a full performance. He's so fully realized. Right. But, but. Two words, guys. Moonlight Graham. Yeah. yeah. All I right. was, oh, love him in that. I, love I, him. I, I, by a whisker. I think that was his last theatrical film. 
I think so too. Yeah. But so by a whisker for me Fact o- o- over his supporting performance in Local Hero um, as the Oil Man, I got to give it to him as Moonlight Graham in yeah. Field of Dreams. Yes. Field of, Phil Alden Robinson. It's, it has become and you know there are a lot of good, really good supporting actor. But I mean James Earl Jones, of oh, course. Great. Baseball Ray. Yeah. People will come. Ray Liotta is wonderful. Listen to our po- yeah. well. I have my huge problem with Ray Liotta and baseball fans, you will know this right away, is that Shoeless Joe Jackson was a righty who came from the South and was not literate. Ray Liotta is a lefty and um, it does not sound like a Southerner. D.B. Sweeney does a better job playing Shoeless Joe in um, Eight Men Out from the year before. But not a movie I like very much. Oh, I love Eight Men Out. But I'm I'm a Black Sox fan. There you Uh, go. So anyway, just those, you know, he's only in a couple of scenes. He's in the scene where they, where, uh, where... Ray and um, and Terrence Mann go to Chisholm to track him down, and there's that you know I gotta get going, or at least you'll think I got a girlfriend, and the wink, mm-hmm. and just lovely. And then of course he, the, but the scene that gets me, all guys who have daddy problems, which is most guys, you know, lose it when you know he, when Kevin Costner as Ray plays catch with his dad. The cat, you right. know, if you build it, he will come yeah. at the end. But for me, it's when, it's when. Uh, Archie Graham gives up his dream of playing with the yep. guys, yeah. steps off the field, saves you know saves the daughter. Hot dog in her throat. Yeah. This girl's choking it death. Hot dog. <laughs> exactly. She'll be turning handsprings in no, no time. <laughs> and 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 he walks and Kevin Costner realizes, oh my God, you can't go back. I'm so sorry. And it's like no, no. And they say thank you. And Robinson zooms his camera in, and Lancaster says no, son. Thank you. And there is so much weight and so much emotion. It, mm-hmm. He's in the film for what? Six minutes? Yeah. Seven minutes? Yeah. It's, it's a and relatively small it, part. It's just, it just, that gets me every time. And then when he is, as he's walking into the cornfield, Ray Liotta turns to and says, Hey, rookie, you were good. Yeah, and I love the, that. Oh, I love that. Oh. And the look on his face. Yeah. So for so many reasons, you know, a great lead actor turned... Fabulous character actor, supporting actor, and check out some of those performances from the 80s. My number four is Burt Lancaster in Field of Dreams. Moonlight Graham. Yes. Got it? Okay. Alan Rickman as Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility, 2008, directed by Ang Lee. Yep. Rickman plays Colonel Brandon as the epitome of a kind and compassionate man who is deeply wounded in a past love affair. However, he is not weak. He has great strength of character and integrity. You know he will always do the right thing and will always come through in a crisis. Because of Rickman's willingness to be so vulnerable, we are always on his side and you always have a sense of a life lived outside of the movie. And Rickman, one of the great voices of movies. Oh my yeah. goodness, yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because he's famous for, you know, Snape and, and Harry yeah. Potter and yeah. Hans in Die Hard, but yeah. he imbues those sort of cartoon villains with that kind of yes. full yeah. character. He, yeah. I mean, there's nothing he couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, exactly, yeah. I and I just, I just, I love him in Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, yes. except I think you have the year wrong. Two th- I, well, I Two th- it's, it's 1995. Is that it? movie came out. Oh, it's a typo. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> this is totally spontaneous, by the way. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making it up as just I go along. Just making it up as we go along. I have to say, I, I was privileged to have seen him uh, on Broadway uh, doing uh, Private Lives opposite. Uh, oh, Lindsay I never Duncan. saw him on stage. Oh, he was brilliant. He was, he was he, both of them. I mean, Private Lives is a play that if it's not done right, it can be torture. If you ever saw the Burtons. It. No, I, I did oh, not. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talk about no chemistry, <laughs> believe it or not. Odd. Well, he was uh, towards the end of his life. He didn't want to do it. I see. And, uh, but anyway, but but uh, Rickman and, and, and Duncan and Rickman was just just so wonderful in it. And uh, Yeah, he was a great actor. Yeah, he really was. I, I, when he died, I guess rather suddenly... Uh, I, well, he was he, he was sick for a long yeah, time, but, but I don't think I mean, anyone knew it. Yeah, he it, he kept a very small circle of people mm-hmm. that, that yeah. knew about it, which almost seems so typical of some of the performances. Right, he gave. right. 
And I definitely Sense and Sensibility, a movie I love. Oh my god! Oh, oh yeah, great yeah. literary I, adaptations. I think it's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and a perfect film for Ang Lee. Ang Lee is someone who deserves more attention, but well, he's won well, two Oscars. Oscars. That's he's true. Done pretty yeah. well for himself. Yeah, but he That's hasn't. I, I don't know what's happened with Ang Lee because I mean, what was the last really good movie he made? I don't know, but we're not going to talk about directors yes, today. Yes, that's right. right. That's that's a, we, we digress. <laughs> so, Alan, so, Alan Rickman, I don't think anyone could possibly disagree with that. M- Mikey, you're number three. Numero trois. Okay. This one is an actor that most people don't know uh, because he didn't make a, a lot of movies uh, late in his life, and this is his final film. It's Lee Tracy. From the best man. Oh, uh, from the '30s. I know him as like yes. a pre-code yes. kind of lead actor. Yeah, yeah. He, he he did a few films in the well, he did a lot of films in the '30s. Right. But a lot of them were B films. The ones that he did that were uh, no, noted were um, Dinner at Eight, sure, and um, Bombshell with Gene Harlow. I always think of like him and Warren William in right. the same breath. I know, always those. thought he was in uh, the front page, but apparently not. That was Pat O'Brien. I don't know why I always thought... And Adolf Manjou. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, he had... Was it possible there was another version of the front no, page made earlier? I don't think so. No, 31 was the... 31, I think, was the first, because the play came out in the 20s. So, okay. yeah. Anyway. Good, uh, good, great pull from the 30s, Mike. I yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but he did a lot of films, B films in the 30s and in the 40s, and then he stopped making films like in 1947. He just stopped. He went back to stage. He did a lot of radio and a lot of television. He was in, uh, oh, I I forget the name of it, but it was some uh, radio program where he was a private investigator. But then he did the front page in 1960, I mean, The Best Man, Gore Vidal's play in 1960, right. playing Art Hofstetter, the former president. And he was the only person to reprieve his role in the film of 1964. And since seeing the film, and I saw the film when it came out, and I understood most of it. I was only nine, but... They let him in at this point. They did yeah. let him in. At this point, he's walking on his own and forming I think sentences. I might, have been, I might have been with my mom for that one. You know, Henry Fonda, they're going to let him in. Yeah. But, uh, Who directed uh, Best Man? Franklin Schaffner. With Schaffner, right. Yeah, okay, one, of his first, yeah. one of his first theatrical films. A, a good adaptation of that. Very good. Yeah. I think it's better than the play. Because I've seen the play since twice. They revived it fairly twice. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah in 2000. To it, right? No, not really. They did. I know, there I know is an updating version from 1976. Okay. But that right. never came to Broadway. Okay. And I think uh, Gore Vidal had a hand in it, and it just it didn't work. Yeah. But no, the ones from uh, 2000 with Spalding Gray and who couldn't act. No. Sorry. Uh, monologues, yes. Acting, yeah, no. acting, no. And um, Charles Durning played the mm. president. Great actor. And then in 2008, it was done uh, with um, John Larquette and then uh, James Earl Jones as the president. Not a line referring to his race at all. And they are both great actors. Not as good as Lee Tracy. Lee Tracy just mm. inhabits this character. You actually, because I haven't seen him in anything else besides those other two movies, you actually think, was he the president? <laughs> I mean, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> he's doing Harry Truman. The man is dying. He's a former president. He's they're trying to get his um, support, both candidates for the presidency. And he's playing both sides. And when one of the candidates insults him, swiftly goes to the other one. And he has my favorite line in the uh, film. He says, there's nothing like a low-down, dirty political fight to bring the roses back to your cheeks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and he's, he is dying. He's um, uh, has can- uh, yeah, he's cancer of the innards, as he calls it. But he steals every scene that he's in. And it's... It, Unlike the two plays, uh, I think the best man, the film is actually superior to the plays. It's shorter. And uh, there are certain scenes in the play that I go, eh, you were right to cut this. But uh, Lee Tracy, he's fantastic. It is the only movie, theatrical movie, he made after 1947. 
So he comes back for that one film and for then... For that one film... Wow. And uh, he went back to stage? No, sadly. Um, uh, he he wasn't... Didn't get an Oscar nomination for it. The film's only nominee. Lost it to uh, Peter Ustinov in Top Cappy. Top Cappy, yeah. Uh, he did, I think he was in rehearsal for a play the following year, and then they discovered cancer. Yeah. He did one TV movie. He was on a couple of guest spots and TV show in 1965, and then he died in 1968. That was it. So this really, he, he, this was the only movie he made in the last uh, 20 years of his life. I don't know the movie that played that well. Does is it is it still relevant in today's oh god yes. carnival of politics? Absolutely All yes. Right. Oh absolutely. So mm. then, folks, you should check that out. You yeah. know, Schaffner won director for Patton right in seven. Right. And right. so a and good it's a director. good cast. We talked about what? in our political. Right. I talked about it's it. right. Gordon Fonda, Cliff Robertson, uh, Margaret Leighton, uh, and Southern. Kevin McCarthy, excellent cast. Yep. Yeah, check out our Election yeah. Day 2020 episode on our favorite political films for further information. See, we keep we, everything keeps circling back. It's a beautiful thing. So the best, I had no idea that he came back for that one. Just that one, and, and it was because he'd done the play, and wow. it was so good in the play. That's amazing. Um, fans of this podcast will know that I am a insane fan of the director Deborah Granick. Um, someone who I got to meet a couple of times personally when she came to speak to my students at Brooklyn Academy of Music in the film program. She did two feature films in the teens, uh, both of which I thought were brilliant, Leave No Trace from 2018 and, uh, of course, Winter's Bone, the film she's best known for in uh, 2011, or 10, I think, actually, and the film that gave the world Jennifer Lawrence. But the performance that stands out for me among the many great supporting performances in Winter's Bone, and there are many, is John Hawks. Mm, I had yeah. never... I'm, I'm sure people who know film better than I do, have, you know, or know actors better than I do, had seen John Hawks. I, no, Michael, you'd never... That was not my first... Right. I had no idea who this guy was. And again, it's it's reminiscent of John. what John was saying about Sesue Hayakawa in Bridge Over the River Kwai. He is so terrifying and so menacing in the part as uh, Uncle Teardrop, and he barely moves, yeah. and he barely pitches his voice above a whisper, and yet somehow manages to convey that in a whole area of terrifying characters, this guy is the guy that the psychos are afraid of. And for and if you haven't seen Winter's Bone, you must, but there's that scene, remember when the cop pulls them over? And he's got and he's got Jennifer Lawrence in the uh, in the front, and he puts his hand on the rifle, and he says to the cop, who he knows is dirty and knows did bad by the family, he says to the cop, "Are we gonna do this? Are we gonna do this?" And just I have never seen more menace portrayed so quiet and so still. And again, I'm I'm not trained as an actor, so I don't recognize it. But boy, I tell you, my the hairs on the back of my neck stood up every time he showed up on screen, which is not that much. And I, I, have we seen him since he's done oh, stuff? Yeah. Since oh, absolutely. I, I'm actually looking up his filmography. And he was nominated for. He Winter's was nominated Bone. for yeah. Winter's Bone. Yeah. And um, so, uh, if you ever want to see, I mean, we all we all love bad guys, and there are. He has 137 credits. Wow. Uh, but other... Um, Holy crap. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, I mean, because, gee, if I was casting and I saw that, I saw Winter's Bone, I'd say, i got to get that guy. Yeah. He was in three billboards outside Ebbing, Ebbing Missouri. Um, I think he got another Oscar nomination for um, that film where he was... Oh, getting therapy with, he's, with he's, Helen Hunt. He has a disability and he... Yes, and she's yeah. the, the... Right, that's right. He was in Lincoln. Right, yeah. he was yes. one of the uh, yeah. operators in yes. Congress. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you if you want a textbook study of how to do an absolute ton without bar barely moving or barely raising your voice, check. Well, you should check out Winter's Bone anyway. But John Hawks's performance was literally haunting, and it's my number three favorite. And even though it was nominated, he still he should have won. The, it, it, yeah, uh, what year was that? That was ten or eleven. I'm trying I think to it was remember who was who won that. I mean, year. just just remarkable. Johnny, who's your uh, and who's it's your, the sessions. 
That's the movie. The sex, right, with Helen Hunt. She's like a, yeah. a sex therapist right. uh-huh. or something like that. Right. And I okay. think he was nominated for that, too. Yep. Johnny, um, your number three? Harvey Keitel as the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yay! Oh. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. So pretty pleased with, oh. the sh- <laughs> with sugar on top. Yeah, pretty pleased. <laughs> Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction puts on a master class on how to make a big impression with a small role. Perfect. Takes command of the movie, and it's just what the part calls for. A man who is always in control and always knows what to do in a time of crisis, but with humor. Yes. Never loses his cool. And... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, my favorite moment is, you know, after, uh, you know, Tarantino, who's such a bad actor, has gone on the whole thing about how Bonnie buys crap coffee and he buys good coffee and the whole thing. And then the wolf comes in and and just kind of looks at him and just... Yeah, I know. His subtext is so strong Perfect. that he doesn't really have to do much of anything. It's just that glance, and he's just he takes over the movie. Perfect. He steals the whole movie in that, and that, and that's that sequence. It's amazing. And there's uh, there's something I, I have to read from David Thompson biographical film dictionary because I was starting to write things. It's like no, there's, there's no way I have to go back to the source because it's so perfect. There are few American actors whose careers are so intriguing or so touching. Imagine a film about Harvey Keitel, the actor's so good, so persistent, yet so regularly denied at the highest table. Ceaseless in his fury, his bitterness, forever hurtling forward in that cold, determined aura that is a mix of menace and resentment. What a role! And probably De Niro would get it. Yeah. I mean, he's been in so good in so many movies. Yeah. He only has one Oscar nomination. Yeah, which Bugsy. is which is unheard of. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. That's crazy. I know. Yeah. Bugsy. That's the only. Yeah. Really? Supporting actor. That's yep. it. Yeah. I, I I find that incredible. Yeah, because he's always he's always so good. He's essential. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. American film in the last fifty years without, without him. I know. I know. I totally. mean, Mean Streets. He's. Oh. He's great in it. And but Taxi the, Driver. But, but And Taxi Driver. And the thing about Mean Streets is that he really is the star of that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, he was. But but it's it's something about the nature of movies and us. It's He's he's sort of the good guy. He's the one who's trying to do good, trying to control mm-hmm. Johnny Boy, trying to get him, trying to keep him safe. Because De Niro plays the really dangerous character, he's the one we want to watch all the time. It's something about movies that we're drawn to the dangerous person. We don't want to be with that person in real life, but there it is. No, yeah. absolutely. And again, another example of doing so much with, with so little. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Just barely, no. never raises his voice. Oh, oh never. God. I, I mean, I, I occasionally, I mean, I love Pulp Fiction. It's my favorite Tarantino movie. Yep. Occasionally, I'll watch just the part with Harvey. Yeah. Curtis. If I'm Kurt, it's because time is a fact. So please, pretty please with sugar, sugar on top. top. Well, okay, I'm putting that on my list of movies I'm going to watch tonight. I'm probably not going to be going to bed till 5 a.m. Early for you. Yeah. You like Oak, Jimmy? Oak's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your Look. Uncle Marcel is. <laughs> exactly. Your Uncle Marcel is Captain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, 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 I'm just praying that Tarantino pulls himself out of history and comes, if he really is only going to do one more. You know, and comes and, really and do does something of that level. Because my goodness, I, I I saw that for the first time in Los Angeles at oh. the Chinese Theater, and Pulp I was fiction? out I was out visiting a friend in '94, mm-hmm. and my goodness, was that a great experience? I mean, it, it's perfect. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. And there you have it, my friends. The end of part one, episode thirty-three A. No small parts. Our appreciation of underappreciated. Best Supporting Actor Performances. And like the great movie serials of the 1940s, we're going to leave you hanging with this one. What will be our number twos? What will be our number ones? Will the people in our necrology still be dead? The answer to these and other questions to be found coming in a couple of weeks. We thank you for your patience coming up in episode 33B. So until then, I send you off with our usual farewell. May your favorite films Always be streaming.